The Ringer NBA show is presented by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. I'll tell you what's unexpected. The San Antonio Spurs being 3-0 as of this recording. Who would have guessed it? They're back. They never left. Unlike life, though, this is predictable because the Spurs do this every year. We doubt them, and here they are. But in some ways, they are like State Farm. They're always there for you. 100%. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Basketball is very good. Carl Towns is holding Andrew Wiggins back. The Pacers don't miss Victor Oladipo. The Suns offense should run through Aaron Baines. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's Group Chat. Yeah. It's Justin Verrier and Chris Ryan. Soon we'll be joined by Jonathan Sharks. Isaac Lee is on the decks today. And we have a lot of stuff to get through, including... All my basketball reference slider heads coming out of the woodwork for Anthony Davis last night. He's back. It's It hasn't been since before Pearl Harbor that like a guy did what he did last night. Is that right? Playing through a debilitating shoulder injury that cost him <laughs> all of two minutes on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Davis went off last night against the Grizzlies. We also have to touch on Trey Young rolling his ankle after... Really just being, as Kevin O'Connor talks about today, just kind of like this Steve Nash, Steph Curry hybrid for the first few games of the season. He'll be back soon enough, we hope. We are also going to talk about the Mavs. We'll talk about some things that we've loved to see this season and things we've hated to see this season so far. But Justin, I wanted to start today. Hi. Hello. I want to talk a little bit about the Warriors Mm. because they've gone through this kind of mini identity crisis over the last couple of days, the last week or so. Uh, since the season started, they opened their season with two really bad losses. And after those losses, to paraphrase both Steve Kerr and Draymond Green, they were like, we're really screwed. Steve Kerr was like, this is the new reality. We're going to get our asses kicked some nights. And Draymond Green was like, we suck right now. Now, they won a game after that. I believe they beat the Suns. Uh, they beat the Pelicans. Pelicans. And they in beat New the Orleans. Pe- Pelicans in New Orleans. Tough road win. <laughs> and... Steph came out and was like, Steph already started chirping about nobody believes in us, which is fine. It's good. But the people who didn't believe in you or the people who were being really candid were Dre and Steve Kerr. It wasn't like Tim Kawakami, you know? So I thought the the interesting thing here was that like the Warriors were their own take artists for a couple of days there. Mm-hmm. But it got me thinking a lot about where they're at and the price that they're paying for the five years of excellence that they went through. About five, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether or not this is one of the first bills due in the player movement era, you know, and how hard it's going to be for teams. All these teams that we see that are like, you know, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Clippers, the Lakers that we see ascending here, how hard it's going to be to keep this stuff sustainable for more than two, two, three seasons. Yeah, I mean, they're an interesting case because once they grabbed D'Angelo Russell in what ended up being a sign and trade for Kevin Durant, it was widely presumed that it was only an asset grab. Sure. That was just like... And it could still be. Yeah, right. It could still be. There's only so much available land. You take as much as you can get and you figure it out later. I feel like we had, since since that happened, talked ourselves into them as a contender or now we're talking ourselves into, at the very least, we're, we're starting to see that perhaps they just don't have enough to be that team that they used to be. Steph can only do so much. Draymond can only do so much, especially if he has to play power forward when they have all this money wrapped up in their center rotation. 
I think I'm back to the start of things where it's like, this is probably a bridge year. Mm -hmm. That this is probably a two-year process and whatever happens here. Right, because they have something like 140 committed to those four guys in 2020, 2021, right? And they're hard-capped. So they really can't do much. That's why they can't add more players in order to help themselves out right now. And I mean, they're waiting on Clay. Yeah. Who obviously is a bigger part than we ever realized. We knew he was good, but at this point, like their defense has been atrocious. They gave up 141 and I think 122 in consecutive games. Yeah. And and the Clay thing can't be his value is only like multiplying. Over the course of the season, we'll really see how important Clay Thompson is. Because mm-hmm. I think that if they had him, you're talking about the four or five seed, probably. To not put too fine a point. Maybe six, seven. But like I think that he would make their biggest weakness, he would take care of that in a lot of ways. The perimeter defense. Um, I kept thinking, obviously, I, I'm a Sixers fan, but I was thinking a lot about the Sixers in relationship to this because in a lot of ways, this is like, what's happening in the Warriors is almost like a a weird inversion of the process. Mm. Like the process was all about, you, you know, you wait and you slog through these tough seasons and you get as many of these shots at, possibly franchise-changing players. And that's the price you pay is like this awful basketball for a couple of years and feeling like you're the punchline of the league. And it, essentially, that that feeling of being picked on or that feeling of, of nobody understanding what we were trying to accomplish is what created like the fandom around the Sixers that we see today. Mm-hmm. That kind of like, and this sort of almost like religious belief in like how, how you go about doing things. And now the Sixers are reaping the awards for that. You know what I mean? And they have a window right now to go after the title. The Warriors, in a weird way, are almost now on the other side of that. They're paying the bill for their success. And credit to Bob Myers for not trading Clay or not trading Draymond and saying like, okay, we're going to tear this down, but we're going to keep Steph to like sell tickets in the new building, but we're going to try and replenish our assets. Do you see the kind of correlation I'm making there, though? Yeah, I guess it ultimately comes down to how we view them as an entertainment product as well. Yeah. Like, are we more interested in the Warriors now because they're fallible and they are kind of riding the rails a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that their talent level is a little, like, a little low to be entertaining. I have found the blowouts to be a rubbernecking experience. Really? And thus have watched both of those games. <laughs> really? It's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's an oddity. When you're used to this team just dominating the field and all of a sudden they look like the Cavs after LeBron left. Yeah. At certain times, obviously yeah. the talent level is much higher than. So there's a bunch of what ifs here that I've kind of been thinking about because obviously there's what if Kevin Durant stays. You know, obviously what if Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt? You probably win another championship. What if Kevin Durant stays? This whole thing is you're talking about, yeah, we're maxed out on these four guys, but it's the four guys who, the only four guys you need to win a championship, mm-hmm. you know? I also started thinking about what we can learn from what's happening to the Warriors for these new newer super teams. And for like, I'm curious about what would have happened if, I guess even like if LeBron, like I was thinking about LeBron, especially in terms of Cleveland, like Cleveland and Miami. But like, what would have happened if, if those teams had been forced to continue to try and replenish their rosters around LeBron and how much, how much that would have cost them? We're seeing what it cost it's costing Cleveland now. But Miami only now is really just raising their head above the parapet. Right, and they also kind of walked that line, unlike Cleveland, who clearly pushed the hard reboot button. Miami tried to soft reboot and tried to compete immediately, and it kind of got them in this weird cap hell that they're in today, but they've kind of, they've been relevant ever since. So I I guess that's the trade And they've drafted well, and they've picked up good scrap heap guys, and 
I wonder whether or not you have any criticism for the way Bob Myers has handled the like five through 10 part of the roster. I guess there's only so much you could do. Ultimately, your team's success is going to come down to those top two or three players. And so, like I said, you just kind of grab them when you have that possibility, even if the angel Russell just like never becomes the kind of Steph light they probably hope for him to be in Golden State. He's still a guy that would be attractive to a team like the Timberwolves, for instance. And like, what can you get for him in order to replenish your, your roster? I just think in a way they kind of did things the right way because a lot of the roster spots around these guys, they filled with young guys. And if you're going to take a risk, why not take a risk on draft picks and guys uh, who probably didn't get as much of a shot? And like, you just hope that they can be something, especially next to a guy like Draymond, a guy like Steph, who have historically just brought out the best in guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm in no way suggesting that Meyer should have done something like some major reconstructive surgery on this roster that included the core players. But it's interesting to see now where the Clippers are after they've dismantled Lob City. Mm-hmm. Because in the dismantling of Lob City, they were able to acquire all those pieces that they eventually used to get Paul George, that they used to find Montrez Harrell, the SGAs, like all the guys that like wound up making them relevant last year and then giving them the war chest to go out and get the people they wanted this year. Right, and now the Clippers, two years from now, in the darkest timeline, could be in the situa- yeah, same situation absolutely, the worst, right? Absolutely. When same all those guys want to get paid, you yeah. know what I mean? When when Montrez wants to get paid and everybody wants to get paid on that team, they will be in the same spot. Right. I mean, Anthony Davis is technically a free agent this summer, mm-hmm. and he hasn't fully committed, although everyone expects him to. There could be a situation where the Lakers bottom out, LeBron gets hurt, maybe AD gets hurt, and all of a sudden, he's like, actually, there's not enough for me to compete here. Maybe I go somewhere else. It's interesting. All right, let's call up Charks. We're going to do, we're going to run through real and fake and love to see it, hate to see it, and talk a little bit about what's been happening in the league this week. All right, now we are joined by the Ringers, Jonathan Charks. John, what's up, man? Nothing too much. Back in the groove of the season. It's exciting. Yeah, uh, well, we wanted to start off, we're going to talk about real or fake. The things from the first week of the season, what, what's real, what's fake. And uh, this is a good time to talk about whether or not it's real or fake that Anthony Davis is already walking away with the MVP award one week into the season. Justin, you probably have spent the most time out of anybody I know watching Anthony Davis, just out of professional obligation. Unfortunately, yeah. So what did you think of his performance last night, which was against the Memphis Grizzlies? He scored 40 points in 31 minutes. He had 20 rebounds. He had two block shots. He went 26 for 27 from the charity stripe and looked like a god, honestly. Like, literally played every single position you could play on a basketball floor, did every single thing you could ask a basketball player to do, and did it well. Yeah, this really crystallizes the Anthony Davis experience as I've known it over the past few years. One of the first games that I ever had to cover, I actually had to do it from afar, was I believe his still his best game to date. I think he had 51 or 52 and 20 rebounds against the Detroit Pistons, a team that he just loves to stomp on. And it was one of the most like incredible things I've seen. It's just he just has this way of when he's in the zone, everything goes. He has that soft floater. It's just like an automatic shot. And obviously on the defensive end, he, he can be a monster whenever he's engaged. And on the flip side of that, is he always tends to get dinged by these minor injuries. Mm -hmm. And you saw him leave the game at some point because of a shoulder situation. I think he, I'm not sure what the proper diagnosis is at this point, but these things just continue to come up 
because this is just how he is. I don't know if it's his body, so, whatever. Th- let me ask you this. As somebody who, who's like been around Davis like in that scenario, it seems crazy to look at the, the line last night and talk about whether or not he is fragile at all. But does he over-nurse stuff? Does he like walk off the floor and like go back to the locker room at the slightest sign of trouble? And does that even matter? I think it's a little both. Okay. I think that, yeah, there's something with his body that perhaps is just more susceptible to like nagging injuries. Mm-hmm. I think also, like, if you were to ask, like, Pelicans employees, like, if you gave them true serum, they'd probably say that maybe he doesn't play through as much as he probably should have. I think he got a lot of cover from the Pelican situation because everybody was ready to blame everybody else for things. Sure. But there were a lot of times where when things weren't going well, he would just take his foot off the pedal and kind of coast for a while. Uh And I think that's the biggest difference I've seen from him with the Lakers. He seems fully engaged, and the Lakers, including LeBron James, all seem like they're willing to take their cues from him. Yeah, John, that was the thing that jumped out at me last night was on some super teams, you're just kind of like, oh, how are we going to guard all these different talented players? With the Lakers, even last night, Davis did what he did partially because he was being tripled. You know what I mean? Like, the reason he went to the Mm -hmm. line and shot 27 shots is because every time he got in the post, the Grizzlies sent everyone. It was like the Baltimore Ravens. They just sent everybody at the ball. (laughs) Yeah, my guy, Jaron Jackson, played like 15 minutes last night because he got like five fouls going up against AD. (laughs) Uh, Did you see, have you seen anything different in Davis this season than previous seasons? I don't know. I think it's been a slow process for him. I wrote an article in the preseason kind of talking about how he's grown his game over time. And last year was really the first year we saw like the playmaking, really good three-point shooting. And like Davis, it just took him, I guess is what, his seventh year in the league now? Yeah, and I mean, a guy that size came into the league super raw. And it's really impressive to watch him just add things to his game each and every year. And I think now we're kind of seeing the fully formed product. Because when AD's passing... When AD's shooting and getting to the rim at will, like, there's not much you can do. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the Lakers and the Grizz were pretty much locked up through about three into a little bit into the third quarter. And then the Lakers went on this really absurd run, powered mostly by AD, and honestly powered a lot by his ability to get to the line. And it, it was very old school. It wasn't like... The way some people knock some people some people knock Harden for <laughs> hunting for for fouls. Uh-huh. It was like I can get up there, so just give me the ball down low, and I will like res- I will absorb all this contact, and they're just gonna have to call it. Yeah, if you talk to a lot of people who have been around the game and just like anal- uh, analysts, they will often tell you the difference between a good player and a great player is one that can get to the line. Yeah. Because you could generate just easy points for yourself. And Davis is obviously a good enough shooter to take advantage of that. He's not going to be like a Dwight Howard back in the day where you put him on the line. He might only shoot 50%. He's still a good shooter. And I think that's especially important because his three-point shot hasn't always been as consistent as I think a lot of people have expected. That's the one flaw in his line from last night, 0 for 2. But at the same time, like if they're able to continue to pair Davis with a traditional center and not really lose enough from it, I think it's fine. Although I will say just like the one nagging question I have going forward is, is it still not better for Davis to play more five? Because as we saw last Friday against the Jazz, as soon as they went to that sort of lineup, they made sense in a way that they, they still kind of don't with a Dwight or a McGee on the floor. Yeah, I mean, John, did you get, I don't know if you got a chance to watch this specific Grizz-Lakers game because I know you've been watching a lot of Mavericks this week, but 
What did you think of like the way the Lakers as a team were playing and especially like how LeBron is operating in this new Anthony Davis reality? Well, I didn't see much of it, but when you're talking about like Davis playing bully ball, it reminded me of the Clippers game opening night. Yeah. Where that was like the one thing they did well was like pounding the ball down low to AD and just playing bully ball. And that's kind of their best chance to win because they're not going to have more talent in the Clippers. They've got to attack them right at the five, use AD against, you know, Harrell and Zubach. And that's probably their best chance to get out of the West. I still think, and I was saying this in preseason, that one of the biggest questions, the, the perhaps the defining question of the season is who can guard Anthony Davis. Right. And if he plays like this or anywhere close to that, I think that could be the key to who wins the title. Yeah. I also think that it's going to be, like we talked about this a lot during the preseason, but how much does record matter to you? Because I think that if and when one of Davis or James are out, it's going to be a really tough, tough night for the Lakers. And so in that case, if you are managing their loads, like LeBron played 28 minutes last night. That's like a really good Tuesday night for LeBron mm-hmm. is to go out there, get 23 and 28, watch another guy soak up all, all the plaudits and like get onto the next one. It's if Davis is like, I feel, you know, completely worn out from that Tuesday night game. I'm not playing the next one. It'll be really interesting to see what happens to the Lakers when it's just LeBron and the Bad News Bears out there. Right. And as you alluded to, they had to turn it on in the third quarter yeah. because it was very close up until halftime. Yeah. It was, it was like the Grizz were giving them a game. Right. When I caught up to it after watching the Mavs game, like I think they were down. Yeah. And Morant was doing stuff and I was just like, oh God. Because these are the type of situations I think the Lakers are going to be in all year. I think they're going to be, their margin for error is just so thin because their depth is so thin that like they're going to struggle. And I do wonder how much that taxes Davis specifically because they are going to him a lot. Kyle Kuzma is supposed to be back soon. I think probably by the end of the week, Rajon Rondo is going to get into the mix, although I wonder if that's going to hurt them. But Why? Because of the shooting? His defense is atrocious. I think he's just one of the most overrated players. And they're a pretty good defensive team right now. Right. Like, I would probably rather Caruso if Caruso can hit shots. AC so, Club, love it. I do. The, <laughs> eight, the, the Caruso propaganda on this podcast is, is one of the surprises of the year. <laughs> he is incredible. Not only because... What? No, no, he will just like, (laughs) all of a sudden he'll just like take off and do this like monster dunk that you'd expect from Russell Westbrook. And then like he'll be trotting back on the other way uh, across the court. And then you'll see like his hairline and how he's just clinging to the scraps of it. And you're like, who is this guy? He's going through the four stages of Nick Calathis in front of our eyes. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a surprising athleticism, as they say. (laughs) Surprising athleticism. Uh, Okay, so that's the Lakers. Let's get into... um, what else is real or fake about the season so far? And I was excited to talk about this because of last night. The Mavericks beat the Nuggets in Denver on the road. And they got double-digit performances from 10 players. So for a team that we are like, they're going to go as far as Luka and Chris Stapps take them. That was last night, dare I say, was a very Denver-esque victory for the Mavericks. John, did you get a chance to watch this one? Oh, Yeah. Don't sleep on the three other guards they got in Dallas. Name name them and shame them, my guy. Let's hear <laughs> so DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, Jalen Brunson. You know what? Honestly, that is a really good backcourt rotation. Yeah. Seth Curry is one of the best shooters in the league, easily. Jalen Brunson, I think, had a chance to be they love Jalen Brunson in Dallas. Like Rick Carlisle will not compliment any player on the team but Jalen Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to get this Brunson guy is so underrated, he's amazing. And then DeLon Wright, I think, has a chance to be a really good player in Dallas. The one thing Dallas is doing, they're playing at the center, either Kristaps Porzingis or Maxi Kleba the whole game. 
So they're always playing five out. It's kind of like the Brooke Lopez effect. The lane is wide open for these Dallas guards all the time. It's hard to stop them. Are you surprised by like how they're spreading it around? Like that was like a very like they, they held on 109-106. They came back in the fourth, I think, and then powered by Luca down the, the stretch, like really just took it to Denver. Yeah, Charks wrote about this during the preseason. The fact that the Mavs ended up striking out yet again on the big name free agents, like they were tied to Kemba Walker, some of these other guys, Mm -hmm. ended up being to their benefit. Because what they did is they just ended up getting a bunch of guys that fit perfectly around Luka and Kristaps as your big two. And you've seen the impact just having Kristaps has had on the floor, just on Luka and just the team. Like, he is just a monster at the rim. I think he got four. 13, 14 boards. Right. And he, I think he had five blocks against the Pelicans the other night. It's just, he's giant and he has good timing. And so he'll be a deterrent there. But those guys that Charks mentioned, yes, they're good players in their own right. But in a game like this one where Luka was a little shaky, he didn't have the impact that he had on the first few games. Mm-hmm. And those guys just stepped up. In the fourth quarter, I believe they mounted a big lead with Brunson and DeLon Wright in there. Yeah, but then down like at the very end, I meant like like Luka got that th- that go-ahead bucket, right? Yeah, and, yeah, he had the layup at the yeah. end of the game, driving to the rim. And this is an interesting tension, I think, with the Mavs in general. It does, uh, everything good that they're going to get is going to come via Luka. The team is built around Luka. I do wonder, like, yes, he's incredible and makes these, like, ridiculous circus shots. Especially in crunch time, though, you've seen it already this season where sometimes he'll make them and it'll be amazing and everyone will celebrate. And, and other times, oh, I'm this, just like... This is, ju- this is Justin's skepticism. <laughs> I, just, this is like Justin kind How of rounded you? the corner. How dare you? Come on, let's do it. It's just, it's hero ball. And I, I, think, <laughs> I think eventually... It's just, it, it's going to bear out that that's not the best shot. He was three for 12 last night. It wasn't like he took too many shots. You think he was taking too many bad shots? No, he plays within himself. I'm, I'm saying specifically at the end of games, it tends that to go... That is fair. He takes some kind of goofy shots. But really, it's not hero ball. It's hardened ball. That's what he's playing. Ooh, I like it. I like that spin on it. Yeah. And the one thing he does, which is going to drive opponents crazy all season is Luca can sell a call like it's no one's business. Like if he's missing <laughs> he shots, from the Jedi he's, master. Going, <laughs> he's going right to the line. He's going to slow down on his drives, throw his body out, kick his legs out, and cry for a foul call. And he gets a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't know. I well, just, so have you always kind of had like a no to skepticism about Luca? Because I think that like he became a cult very fast, <laughs> you know? I am, Justin, can you even work at the ringer and be a Luca skeptic? <laughs> I thought that was not allowed. I am skeptical of when we instantly dub guys just like the next best player in the league first with Luca and then with Zion right I I can't deny that both players are incredible and they have bright futures in the league I'm talking about specifically this season and at this point in Luca's career it does feel like he's fighting against yes he could do everything but should he do everything and is his worst impulse the fact that he thinks he could do everything interesting I will say this too on terms of with Luca I hate to I hate to even mention this but he has a tendency to hunt triple doubles in a very Westbrook-like fashion that I think people don't really know yet nationally. But it was pretty egregious in the uh, Portland game. He was at nine assists in the fourth quarter, and he would not shoot the ball. Oh, come he was on. like, all right, get that 10th assist. 
So like, I mean, <laughs> this guy's the the next. Um, uh, oh fuck! What's his name? Who's the guy from the Cavs? That Ricky Davis. He's the next Ricky Davis. <laughs> Ricky Davis. Yeah. So we wait. Hold on. Luca went from being like, <laughs> like God, Luca. Like, please take my firstborn. So now we're worried he's maybe hunting for fouls. So now he's the new Ricky Davis. I'm just giving it to you straight. I'm man. not mad at it. You got to get your stats. It's wow, no big man. deal. I just can't believe how public opinion will just shift with the changing of the winds. <laughs> um, we'll be back with more real or fake. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show group chat is brought to you by FanDuel. There are always more ways to win on FanDuel Sportsbook, and it's easy to get your winnings when you want them. With FanDuel Sportsbook's cash-out feature, you can end your bet early and claim your cash with the push of a button. Plus, FanDuel's fast payouts mean you can get your winnings in your pocket in as little as 24 hours. Money lines, spreads, totals, parlays, props, teasers, and more. FanDuel Sportsbook has tons of bet types available every single day. Plus, they always offer unique betting promos to spice up game day, like boosted odds, score bonuses, and parlay insurance. With so much to bet on across 17 different sports, FanDuel Sportsbook is sure to have a wager that's right for you. And best of all, you can place your first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free. If you lose, you'll get a refund of up to $500 in site credit. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app with promo code RINGERNBA to bet from anywhere in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. If you lose your bet within seven days of signing up, FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund of up to 500 bucks in site credit. That's promo code RINGERNBA, R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A. 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. First online wager only. Site credit expires in 14 days. Cash out not available in all markets. Terms apply. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Today's Ringer NBA show is also brought to you by Privacy.com. When it's game day, you can't be fumbling your wallet to pay for the food order. Or you can't be worrying about online security when you're paying for tickets to the next game. Privacy.com is the best way to pay for anything online because it keeps your identity totally safe and secure. Privacy.com is different because it uses virtual cards instead of real ones. This is a free tool that will help you manage your financial life online without sharing your real banking information. When we buy things online, we give personal info not only to the merchants, but also their data partners without our clear consent. But Privacy.com uses military-grade encryption, and they won't sell your data or charge interest and annual fees. And Privacy.com's Chrome extension will autofill your virtual card information, so it's incredibly easy. Head to Privacy.com slash NBA to sign up. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. Yeah, that's free money for any online purchase. Go to Privacy.com slash NBA to sign up now. Let's talk about what else is real or fake from this first week of the season. I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the Suns, who have already been through like seemingly a season's worth of ups and downs. They lost their last year's number one draft pick, DeAndre Ayton, to a suspension for use or legal use of a diuretic, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not going to speculate about what that's all about, but he's out for a while. Um, But they're two and two. They have a top 11 offense and a top 10 defense. Obviously, this is the smallest sample size you can possibly have. The Rubio signing which a lot of people were very skeptical about, it looks like it was exactly what they needed. Um, now, I don't know whether or not they can be a competitive team when Kelly Oubre is the second option. But My right guy. now, they look pretty, they're pretty fun. And I wonder whether or not 
there was a little bit of addition by subtraction for this team over the offseason. Losing the ghost of Josh Jackson, who obviously is not currently in the NBA. Yeah, uh, in the G League. Yeah, he's Banished. in the G League. Banished. And uh, TJ Warren, who went to the Pacers, and accumulated a lot of interesting young pieces and were a little bit of a uh, cautionary tale for maybe like a Hawks or some other team coming up who have like seven really interesting young guys. Who's going to be the one? Right, the magic. Yeah, and it's like, oh, sometimes that can get a little confusing for everybody. It seems like they have Booker and Oubre to put in the points and Aiton when he's there, and everybody else knows how to make a team work. Does that sound like a fair assessment? And do you think that the Suns are real or fake at this point? Yeah, I mean, the Thunder model only works when you draft three MVPs. Three generational talents, yeah. Yeah, not Cam Johnson. Uh, but I do think they got a bunch of adult, adults in the room. Tyler Johnson, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they, I mean, Ricky Rubio is, is a big one. Uh, Aaron Baines is also someone who will just like put guys on their asses. And, and I feel like- And th- played for two pretty like- He's good. Mature, he's res- a good player. responsible organizations. Yeah, I, I think he's the type of player along with Rubio that they need who will set uh, just a, an emotional tone because I think Booker can get, a, can, can kind of like drift a little bit and can get into his own like, scoring and be a little bit of a whiner. Yeah. And it does feel like... Is that entirely based on him complaining about getting doubled in pickup? Or is that just, <laughs> that just like... No, it's just years of, of watching him just yeah. like complain about fouls. But I do feel like Rubio, Baines, these sort of guys, I don't know. There seems to be something different. And obviously, Monty Williams is a coach there. And he traditionally has been, at least with the Pelicans, a guy who will automatically raise your floor, if not your ceiling. Okay, so John, what are you seeing from the Sun so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what y'all have been saying. If you go back and look at their last two drafts with their new front office, they've clearly gone the opposite way. So the last two years, they drafted a really old, really good shooter, Mikhail Bridges and then Cam Johnson. So it was like the opposite of Josh Jackson. So they kind of like overcorrected. They said, we have our main guys, you have Booker and Aiden, and then everybody else we're going to bring in is going to be an older player. They can play within a role, they can play within a system. So now they have like a culture and a professional structure and even if they don't make the playoffs, I think this allows them to develop Aiden and Booker because those are going to be your two guys going forward. And I think that really, there's hope in Phoenix the first time in a long time. Do you guys know if the GOAT is still there? So they still, obviously, Arnovitz had that offseason piece about like the state of the Suns organization. And there was something about like a GOAT wandering around <laughs> the offices taking craps in the corner. Right. I think that it was like a, to celebrate something, it was like a joke about like, you're the GOAT now, and they put it in Ryan McDonough's office. And as they were waiting for him to enter the office, the, the GOAT defecated <laughs> all over the office. I mean, that's not a good place for a GOAT anyways. Phoenix is too hot for a GOAT. got to get him out of there. But the thing is, you guys ever see that movie Bull Durham? Yeah. I, was, I would hope so. Yeah. It's like the fungus in the shower shoes. It's like, if you're if you're bad... <laughs> you're just disgusting because you have fungus in your shower shoes. But if you're good, mm-hmm. fungus in the shower shoes, <laughs> it's colorful. Right. Right? Well, so maybe like, that's uh, that's Booker yelling off a double team and pickup. That's that right. not a good team. It's like, oh, I'm a winning player. I'm booking my game, right? Instead of being a whiner. I, I, I think the Suns are good. I think that they'll probably, this, but this is probably what they are, which is like two good nights, two bad nights. Yeah, I, I would like to temper the optimism here. I, I'm not a believer. Oh, okay. So fake. Yeah, I, I do think they're kind of fake. I just I look at the overall talent level, and, and while the roster makes more sense, I just don't know if they could withstand like twenty five games without DeAndre Ayton and like even the defensive personnel, like Dario Saric. Yeah, like Frank Kaminsky is getting minutes. Frank here. the Tank is killing it right now. <laughs> yeah, for now, what, it's like the Dirty Dozen. It's like what a weird <laughs> collection of like <laughs> castoffs now. It's a scrap heap. Like Check Diallo is here, my guy from New Orleans. I 
it, it doesn't really make sense. And even like some of the the numbers, like the defensive numbers when Aiton was in there are incredible. I think they had like a 75 defensive rating in his 30 minutes. But that's minutes. like one game against the Kings. I right. Think. It was, it was <laughs> like literally those. one game. But that like that accounts for a huge amount of their data. Oh, they're, they're like top 10 off defense then. Right. Yeah, and right. also like if you don't have a giant rim protector for you, that's also going to matter. I know Aiton historically hasn't been a good defender, but he seemed to be showing something. He's that a large help. human. Yeah. He's a large human, yes. <laughs> um, okay, so we're saying Anthony Davis, real MVP frontrunner. Yes? Uh, yeah. Oh him, God, him or Towns. What, what do you believe in, I Justin? Mean, the Wolves are 3-0. My wolves. My, my Minnesota. Hold on a second. How are you claiming the real wolves? Real or fake? Have you motherfucker? Are you trying to tell me you think the Minnesota. wolves are for real? I think the wolves are for real. I think the wolves are going to make the playoffs. Uh-huh. I wrote this in our group post. Uh-huh. MVP candidates don't miss the playoffs. I don't know why I MF'd you over the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a little aggressive. <laughs> I, I like it. Wait, so you're, you're feeling him? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. He's like, he came into the league and everyone was talking about how he's this generational talent. All of a sudden, the Wolves, as Sharks wrote about in his feature this preseason, they just leaned into all of his best attributes and everything makes more sense. Like, yes, they need more help at point guard. Like, Andrew Wiggins is basically, anytime he plays well, has found money and I'm not sure how long he can stay engaged. Only hits game winners. <laughs> right. It's guaranteed he gets on SportsCenter. <laughs> After getting benched. Uh, but... Towns is incredible and if as long as he continues to play this way and if he continues to play which he has done historically he just doesn't miss games I think that they could win 45 games make the playoffs 50 like below 50 big test tonight Sharks if people are hearing this before the Wednesday night games tip off Sixers Wolves the battle of the two teams on pace to win 82 games this season um, yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting game just because of how is Embiid going to guard a five-out offense? Is Embiid going to guard Towns or Covington? How's that going to work? I know, the the Bob Covington return game. I got to say, <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons game. why the Wolves look so good is Covington. I've started to really bec- have a new appreciation for having someone who can guard the opposing team's point guard really well or the best backcourt player on the opposing team. But watching Josh Richardson do it, against Trey Young was like very informative and my the, my guy Matisse MVP Thibault. Um, you know, Butler was supposed to be that for the Sixers last year and I think did and didn't at various times do it. I think a lot of that was tied into like him being like, I flipped my own switch. But watching the Wolves this season, you can really see it's kind of like the reverse rim protector. It's like in, in some ways for team defenses now, it's almost more important to have a point of attack defender like Covington uh, that really offsets like any other in defensive weaknesses. Have you have you noticed that, John, about like the Covington impact there? Yeah, well, Towns talked about it in the preseason because last year when Covington was in Minnesota, he had a really good defensive rating with Covington on the floor. And he said, like, I love playing with Covington because I know if he's on the other side of the floor, there's no penetration coming. Yeah. Like it simplifies the game for me on defense. I think that's been very helpful for Towns. That's really interesting. That's like having like, it's like, yeah, it's like what you hear dudes talking about like when they have like a good defensive backfield. You know what I mean? Like they know. Yeah, it's like a shutdown corner. Like yeah. that side of the field is taken care of. Yeah. All right. So the Wolves, according to Justin and John, are real. Anthony Davis, Justin rolled his eyes. And I think he's probably like, wait till he's out for four to six weeks with a shoulder stinger. Uh, but I think he's pretty real. Yeah. He would be number two on my list. Who's number one? 
Towns. Yeah. So you're super Love it. Towns over Davis. Do you want do you want some stats? I did some data. We've played deep four dives. games. <laughs> <laughs> We've played hit hey, me the with stats all the stats, the stats though. Okay. So Towns is averaging 32 points, 13.3 rebounds, five assists, 51.7% from the three-point line. No player in history has ever averaged 30, 10, 5, and 40 from three-point lane. And that is just like completely within the realm of possibility. He like I would expect him to do that this year. 40 is high, but he did it last year. Say those again. Say those stats again. 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 40% from 3. That's pretty good. It's pretty incredible. (laughs) And he could do it. The other numbers to look at. So Towns is shooting 9.7 threes a game and getting 9 free throws a game. He is? It's incredible. Isn't that insane? He's jacking like Steph. Wow. He's playing like, it's like Brooke Lopez, but 30 points a game. Is the 9 three-point attempts a game going to stick? I think so. From when I talked to the Minnesota, they're like, green light Carl Towns. Do whatever you want to do. He's their best three-point shooter. And he's one of the By better far. three-point shooters in the league. And then he goes down low and he looks like Tim Duncan in, in 05 or whatever, right? When he needs to. Uh, okay, so those are our real or fake. Uh, the season's just started. And John and Justin and I, we have our own personal preferences. So we want to talk a little bit about what we love to see, what we hate to see. And I want to start to say that you hate to see Tyler Hero become Clay Thompson. And <laughs> you hate to see it because I was wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. I was wrong about this guy. I thought dude, all you dudes were just like going off of one or two summer league games or preseason games and that this is just happens to be a dude on a hot streak. He looks fucking awesome. Isaac, do we have any like trumpets we could play here to an- to announce this take to the world? Play like play Danny Boy for my funeral because I my takes are going in the ground. I don't listen to me. He he scored what twenty nine points last night? Yeah, against uh, mm-hmm. who was it against the 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 Hawks? The right? Hawks um, <laughs> who are are bad when Trey Young is not on the floor. Yeah, yeah that's without true. Trey, but Harrell looked awesome. He he looked really 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 sick and like it was interesting because Butler was back and this is another team that are going to be very reliant on on one great player, but have obviously benefited from years of not having that focal point because I think they know how to play when Jimmy Butler is out or when Jimmy Butler is taking three quarters of a game off. And to see Dragic out there and to see Bam out there and to see Hero out there, is it Hero or Harrow? I believe it's Hero. That doesn't seem fair. You can't have <laughs> your last name be Hero. But the SJR puts a little twist on it. Did he just like So his nickname is Superhero, right? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but we tell can... me about tell me all about how I was wrong. Uh, he just he has one of the purest shots of of this draft class, yeah. and I think that just translates immediately, and you're starting to see it. Yeah, this team also needs that. His release is fucking fast. Yeah, his like it is. Okay. It's not clay fast, but it's really good. So we had some good hero nicknames in Slack yesterday. But we read them out for everyone. So there was TikTok Mike Miller, <laughs> Fi- Fire Festival Jason Capono, <laughs> Baker Mayfield with the jumper, <laughs> Rude Boy JJ Redick, and then this is a deep cut Coachella Casey Jacobson. <laughs> Coachella Casey Jacobson is definitely my favorite. It's a good one. Yeah, Tyler Hero <laughs> look, definitely looks like a guy who goes to like Wet Republic. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> He's living his best life in Miami for sure. Day pool party in Vegas. Yeah, wearing drop crotch pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. What else do you guys love to see, hate to see? J- Justin, give me one. All right. I'm going to go with that same game for my hate to see. Hate to see Trey Young leave, in part because of what I mentioned before. Because when as soon as Trey Young leaves the court, 
the Hawks are terrible, mm-hmm. and which is why I'm not very high on the Hawks. I think there's been a lot of momentum. I'm very, being very cynical and pessimistic today. Uh, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't get it, and it doesn't seem like it's going to work this year. Okay, so I do think that part of that is that w- so much of their offense right now, re- even other guys' offense on the team, just is completely reliant on what Trey is doing. Mm-hmm. So it's either Trey stretching the court or Trey getting penetration, throwing lobs, dishing out, making these incredible passes. Um, there's no solution for that. There's no non-Trey solution. I guess we're about to find out because we'll probably miss him. John out. Collins is doing well. Yeah, He's Col- doing well when he's getting lobs from Trey Young and flushing them, yeah. Yeah, Collins is the only guy I have confidence in to be able to get his shot and to provide offense. Whereas like a guy like DeAndre Hunter, his numbers are are positive. I think he has a positive effect on the floor just because he fills so many different roles. But that's what they drafted him for, to be kind of that fourth piece who will play defense and will be able to hit open shots. Cam Reddish, on the other hand, I'm sorry to say, Isaac, is shooting 22% from the floor. He'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean... I still believe. James Harden is shooting, I think, 29%. So perhaps there's just like some solace in that, that it's only a couple games, but he needs to be a significant contributor in offense for that team to work. John, give me a love to see it or a hate to see it. Okay, I'm going to go real deep cut here on love to see. So this guy named Christian Wood. I know all He plays for the Pistons. You know Christian, Christian Wood? Of course I do, brother. The process. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was up there. He's crazy talented. I remember out at the G League Showcase last year, and I'm watching this seven-foot guy. He's the best athlete on the floor. He's shooting threes, dribbling ball up the court, taking it off the dribble. It's like, this guy's amazing. Why is he in the G League? I think he, this is like his sixth team in five seasons or something. And he dropped 19 points and 12 boards in the Pacers in 21 minutes the other night. He's a special, special talent. I think he'd have a huge year. Yeah, I think the Pelicans had him toward the end of last season. They had to get rid they of did. him just because they have so many guys. The Pistons had to cut Joe Johnson for him. So that was a thing at training camp. We didn't make the team. Wow. The big three wept. <laughs> Ice Cube's coming at us. <laughs> yeah. My love to see it is all my Knicks fans, friends. Mm. I love to see you guys. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I think the conventional wisdom about the ringer is that we all look like leprechauns <laughs> sitting at the foot of the big leprechaun Bill Simmons just breaking down Jason Tatum tape all night long. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that the ringer, despite having employees spread far and wide across the country, offices on both coasts, and a lot of different perspectives is a fucking big New York media organization when you get it's down true. to it. Because the loudest, most emotional, most invested people at this company and across the board, I got to say, man, the Knicks fans, you guys make me love basketball <laughs> because you're crazy the way you are reacting to Bobby Portis and the way you were reacting to two or three games of RJ Barrett. But I love it. I love having the Knicks just briefly matter. The amount of time I've spent reading and talking about David Fisdale's rotations honestly pale in comparison to the amount of time I've spent talking about the Sixers. So congratulations (laughs) for using your megaphone and turning it up to 11. And now we have to talk about Julius Randle. Justin, talk about the Knicks. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of talk around the office about like the point guard rotation specifically. Which guy will get the minutes? Is it Alfred Payton? Why? Is it Dennis Why Smith Jr.? Is it Frank Nilakina? But ultimately, this is just a game of Russian roulette. Like nobody actually wins. We just survive to play another day. <laughs> Charks, what do you think about RJ Barrett so far this season? 
Uh, he's been better than I thought he would be. He's something really strong. And I have to agree with you. I hear about the Knicks and the Mets and the Jets constantly. I don't know why. It's <laughs> horrible. Is so triggered right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so RJ playing 37 minutes a game, running a lot of point guard, pl- scoring 20 points a game, uh, a 17.3 PRR if that matters to you. Just like immediately looks like an NBA player, which I guess is what you want from a Duke guy. I mean, like, there's there's supposed to be a basement on how those guys play, if not, like, a high, high, high ceiling. Shout out Kyrie Irving. But I usually just assume, like, dudes who come from Duke are going to be, like, NBA ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julio Okafor accepted. I think you're starting to see a little bit of a, a Kentucky Carl Towns era sort of thing where it's like, yeah, maybe if you have overlapping skills with, like, the number two prospect in the country, maybe don't go to the same school. Yeah. Oh, yeah, interesting. Like, he and Zion... Definitely. RJ and Zion, yeah. Yeah, RJ and Zion definitely butted to the point where Zion was like off the ball a little bit too much and RJ was often criticized for just like dominating the ball a little bit too much. But you're seeing as the Knicks play a little bit more into RJ, this type of things that he can do. Give me another love to see it here to see it, Justin. Well, mine was back to Anthony Davis. Specifically, one that you mentioned in our doc here, which is fans just kind of realizing how good this guy is. Mm -hmm. I would say it's it's different than that. I think it's people want to say that, but he has taken another leap. You love to see the the next leap from Anthony Davis, the number two MVP candidate, right? The Walter Mondale of the MVP <laughs> campaign race. <laughs> sure, that sounds about right. Um, That's a uh, you're showing your age there, Chris. Walter I know. Mondale I know. I'm references. going deep back into the to the 80s here, but you th- so you think that like have you noticed like an appreciable difference between of, of the, on the attention paid for him, or is it the way that people are talking about him? Because it's not like you couldn't get New Orleans games. Yeah, but I just don't think that while his rise was driven by these sort of like league pass alert moments where he was just doing incredible things, I think it quickly dissipated to the point where it was a lot of just mid-range jumpers and floaters and he's like putting up a lot of points, but this isn't aesthetically as like just uh, riveting as a lot of people expected. Yeah. Now you're just seeing the same sorts of things. It's just he's playing for the Lakers and way more people care about the Lakers. Yeah, that that definitely feels true. I noticed it was sort of interesting to see, look at Twitter a little bit last night because the Lakers were the sole late game. You know, so, and that's often like one of the benefits of playing on the West Coast is if you're Portland, if you're one of the LA teams, if you're Golden State, sometimes you're going to have the the night slot to yourself and everybody who has Twitter and a television is watching you. <laughs> the flip side of that is that half the country might have already gone to sleep. So I, I do kind of wonder whether or not that will impact whether or not people are always catching up with Davis on social media the next day or how many people are actually going to see those games. I still think he's probably top two, three MVP candidate, you know, I mean, no matter what. But the other one would be Kawhi, and he's also in LA, so he's going to have to deal with that too. And since he's taking tonight off, he's also (laughs) going to have to compete against his own load management, right? Right, right. John, what do you think? What's your last love to see it, hate to see it? I hate to see it, Harrison Barnes in Sacramento. Like, he's the nicest guy in the world. Love him off the court. But as soon as that happened last, I was like, this is a bad idea. He's going to tank this team. And I, I think it's happened. It's, it's just tough, man. He's really good at getting him money. And he's just not very good at basketball. It's tough. Yeah, it's been rough for the Kings here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they ever get out of this downward spiral. Because if you're going to start from this far behind, the West is just so stacked that like I think this matters. Losing yeah. four games, five, six, if it continues on, like that matters. I'm a, I have no... I have no stats to back this up, but I'm a huge believer in the first 10 games. As because like I basically base this I'm basing this off of the year, the 2000 2001 Sixers team that started the season 10 and 0. 
and went to the finals that season. Of course, to get rocked by the Lakers. But I believe that, like, it's an incredible tone setter. And in the case of, like you're saying, with the Western Conference, where we've seen a game or two separate six from nine in the seeding, mm-hmm. the Kings had, like, their eye on that eight seed. And and that this is going to be really tough. And also, like, Luke Walton hot seat? Ugh. Yeah, that looks like a terrible move now. There's nothing wrong with Dave Yeager except well, for the fact that he's Dave Yeager. Yeah, that yeah. he is Dave Yeager and tends to complain about things publicly and make his organization look bad. Yeah. Um, can I do one more love to see it? Because my first one was a little weak. No, of course, this, man. This yeah, one your, your first one was fine. Don't you ever say that about yourself. <laughs> Always get more takes up, Justin. Just <laughs> well, get them out there. This one is for you, Chris. Okay. Because what I love to see is Ben Simmons. He's back. Fuck yes. He's back. Yes. The ghost of LeBron passed, man. Holy shit. There's just like a little bit more room on the floor for him, especially when Embiid didn't play that one game. And it's just, I think he's more engaged. I think it's gotten to him that like he needs to be this locked-in defensive player and he needs to be pushing the ball when he gets it. And he's just really leaning into this idea that I've always loved about him. I think he took, I think he has a chip on his shoulder. Love it. Took a lot of shit this summer. A lot of people being like, when are you going to shoot? What are you going to shoot? He's like, you want to know what? Watch what else I can do. I, I don't think, is he taking the three this season? No. Not in the regular no season. No three cares. It's all, so it's the, <laughs> it, it's the, it's the combination of the chip on his shoulder and then when it comes to being in the open floor, even more so than the previous seasons, it's on some like Neo, he's starting to believe shit. <laughs> because first of all, he still makes passes nobody else in the league can make. Trey Young, step back dude. Like, Ben Simmons is still making like volleyball touch passes into the post. And I think is basically an unstoppable transition player at this point and knows I can finish over anybody at from any point in the floor. So like that is two points once you get ahead of steam and it's up to you whether you or not you want to foul him in the process or not. He is my favorite NBA player by far right now. I love, love, love watching him play. And I think you're right. I think that there is something going on there. I love this journey for you. I'm sure it'll end really well. John, what do you think about Simmons so far this season? I mean, the Al Horford effect is real. Fuck like yes. having a stretch five. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's just common sense. Like last year, Simmons played with Embiid, Boban, Monroe. There was just no room for him to attack the rim. Now that he has Horford, they're staggering their minutes. Horford's playing with him a lot and Embiid is resting and he has room to go. And now... Let's just play the Bucks. When does that happen? When's that first Bucks Sixers game? Yeah, I just want to say that's going to be the whole season. The Al Horford stuff, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, you don't get it unless you just watch him, and you don't get it unless you see him off the floor and see what happens. You know the difference between watching him on the floor, off the floor. You don't get it until you see a dude just explode when he hits the, sets the screen on him, or how he will get like a little play continuing tip to get, keep the ball up in the air so that another person grabs it in a way that like, I'm not saying that that never happened before, but he just actually does do everything that you don't count on the floor. So you're saying they could trade Embiid now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that. Chris, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Chris, I am curious. How do you feel about Milwaukee-Philly right now, that matchup? Do you have any uh, strong opinions? My opinion is that I'm not that scared. My opinion okay. is I'm sure it would be a great series but my opinion is, is it, I think that they have intentionally built a Giannis neutralizing team. Oh, the fighting words. We'll see. I don't know any Milwaukee fans, so we'll f- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll find me on Twitter. Shout out to the Utah fans. Uh, oh, we didn't talk about Utah yet. 
Should we talk about Utah? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, for Jonathan Sharks, for Justin Barrier, I'm Chris Ryan. This has been Group Chat. We'll be back next week. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Ringer NBA show. Heat check on Monday, mismatch on Tuesday and Thursday, group chat on Wednesday, plus Bill and Rosillo talk about NBA all week. We've got some great videos on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash The Ringer. Videos from Kyle Mann, stuff from our Palooza. We'll be having a lot more NBA video this season. And you can read Sharks on TheRinger.com and even sometimes Justin Verrier. Rational conversations. He brushes off the, the typewriter and gets back in the mix. Thanks to Isaac Lee for producing. We'll talk to you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.